0: Hi everyone, it's Charlie Webster here. Thanks so much for joining us for a new episode of My Sport in Mind, where I talk to leading athletes about their mental health and wellbeing. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Britain's triple world speed skating champion, Elise Christie. How are things for you at the moment? You're back in training fully, are you? No, since COVID, unfortunately, we still haven't
1: managed to really get any ice time, which is very frustrating. But on the upside, like we've had a lot of time to work on fitness and weakness and in the last kind of like year, two years since the last Olympics, I've not really got into a good routine and I've had a lot of issues. So for me, it's been nice just to, even though we're not on the ice, get a good routine and get be able to train hard again. Because I almost thought at one point that I wouldn't be able to train hard again with the way my body was going and things were going in general. For me, like, I really just sort of needed some time to reset. It gave me time to just like find myself again because I felt like... I just got lost in chasing a dream and failing and then the whirlwind of like what happens is a negative impact on you. Like, well, I obviously went through the depression and anxiety and for me, my anxiety is really set off by socialising and being out in the world. So it actually did give me some time to like reset instead of being constantly forced into that situation. And that did allow me time to actually figure out ways to, deal with it and figure out ways to feel better but also just settle down and I think it was weird for me because some of my friends were messaging going on I'm like the most depressed I've ever felt and they've never had mental illness before because some people were just like really struggling with not seeing people and not being outside and and for me I was just like other than like really missing the ice I was like this is so much better <laughs> 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 Just, just been out there for so long, dealing with it and facing it every day, and never really had time to set or like set, set, take a step back and reset.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? How it's almost like you're in one camp or the other, where you're like, oh, I actually don't mind this because it's giving me time to be a family or be at home, and then there's other people where it's like kind of clawing at the doors to to see people. So how, with the socialising thing, you know, I think a lot of people um, will understand and probably mirror and see themselves in what you're saying. How how can you describe what it's like um, in that aspect and how you've started to deal with it?
1: I guess, like, for me, I noticed it firstly after the Sochi Olympics. Now, I'd never been, like, a really confident person, but in 2014, when I came back from the Olympics, I... Didn't know what was going on. I just knew I felt stressed if I left the house. And that if there was more than, like, one person talking to me at a time, I couldn't even take in what they were saying. And I would just, like, zone out completely and not be able to, like, be part of a group. And i found myself just gradually over time getting worse and worse and, like, not going out, not, like, meeting up with friends. And everyone just started to, like, fall out with me because, like, I didn't turn up to things. And, And there was a lot of events that I just missed because I was just so... It's not even scared. Scared's not even the right word, but it is like it's anxious, you know, you just you can't deal with facing things and facing people and it takes so much energy just for me to like get training done and be around people there that had no mental energy left to deal with anything else. But at that point, obviously when I got bad with anxiety, I um I guess I it wasn't as big and people didn't talk about it as much and um and nobody really I guess clicked on to it being anxiety and everyone just kind of thought I was just being rude I guess <laughs> in some way yeah. um, and I think it is something that hits quite suddenly without you realizing it can be set off by like such a number of things you know like mine was a lot of things over time like the school bullying and then that just led into the online bullying and then the death threats and it was really like sounds so ridiculous to sit there and go oh, someone threatened me online so I didn't want to go outside but actually like you are physically scared to go out because your brain's reacting in such an anxious way to the comments and And, like, yeah, it took me a long time to understand myself what was going on. Um, And I'd say, like, out of everything, like, I I suffer from PTSD, anxiety, and depression, but anxiety is definitely the thing I found the hardest to, like, overcome and deal with compared to depression, I suppose.
0: Yeah. And I think it's interesting because, like, even when you mentioned PTSD, like, I got diagnosed with PTSD, and the anxiety is almost like a part of that. And you, you know, you were saying about, Oh well, it sounds silly because they're online death threats, but it's not even that, is it? It's almost like the message it's sending to you because, especially when you, if you were bullied when you were younger, it's almost like, what is it about me? Like, am I not, am I not worth something? Or it, and it kind of triggers all those feelings that it used to make you feel when you were younger. Um, you know, when you look back now, do you think like, what was it like for you as a child, and how much did the bullying when you were younger affect you? And it was, was it something that? You only really realise when you started to feel like you were just describing to us.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think the bullying like affected a lot more than I realised. But at the time, like you said, like yeah, I wasn't a comfortable kid in school, and I I remember people were saying, "Oh, school will be the best part of your life," and I couldn't wait to leave because it was just you know every time I went in, someone had something else to say, and I actually left one of my first schools because of it. And it's just like at the time, you're just a kid and you're going through it all and And then you think, oh, I'll get away from it as soon as you get away from it. But then I think, yeah, for me, it just triggered as soon as it happened again, this second time, like, although it was online and most of it, it just really hit me. And I think for anyone who's not gone through it, it's super hard to understand. And that's why I think a lot of people still don't understand what went wrong with me. Well, not wrong, I wouldn't say wrong, but why I ended up the way I did from it. But it is, it can impact You're human. well, yeah, I like you said, you sit there and you think, um, what, what, well, why me? What's wrong with me? And that is what I used to think. Like people don't accept me, people don't like me. I must not be a very good person. But I sit there and like, I am, I do do a lot of kind of things for people, and I know that, and I know I like to give back. And I think for me, I eventually realised that actually all it was was, I was an easy target in some ways because I would react, <laughs> um, and people like reactions and also like I was different you know I grew up through school in sport whereas in most people where I came from I like married with kids now which is great as well but they just I was just in a different world from a lot of the people i was surrounded by and and I think if you weren't noticeable then you wouldn't get bullied would you <laughs> yeah. uh, but I think it's a it, it's a it's a it's obviously can be a horrible world for people you know I was hard to believe it but I was like tiny because <laughs> <So> I've got <laughs> massive legs now but I was so small and like so pale and like skinny and and just I didn't take really care of my parents at that age and things like that so I think I just was that easier of a target because of that and it doesn't mean that it's your fault it's just that And I always kind of look at it from another perspective as well. Now it's like, you don't know what's going on in their life to make them feel. Yeah, you do get some people who are just arrogant and horrible and you just have to accept them. But sometimes it is just because someone else is having a bad day and they've got someone to take it out on, you know.
0: Yeah. And there's not, you know, it's a small amount of people and there's not a lot of people that would sit and do a death threat online, really. But it's hard (laughs) to get that perspective because, you know, um, through this podcast, we spoke to so many people that, you know, social media has been a real bad effect on their mental health yeah. because, um, you know, a few footballers I've spoken to on and off this podcast, um, they always say that you can have a million amazing comments and then one that just does this to you and tells you you're this. And it's that one that we as humans bizarrely seem to concentrate on and, and yeah. it seems to, to like just affect you. Um, And it's really hard, I think, to shut shut off from that. One thing I wanted to ask you, what you just said, is you said um, you were from a different background. How much did that, I don't know, play on your mind when you started to get into professional sport? Did you feel like or maybe I don't belong here, or, I mean, absolutely you do, but I wonder if that's sometimes a feeling. Um, Just because I think, like, with myself and a lot of people, if you come from a certain background, it's definitely something that I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder about when I was younger, because I used to think, you know, I went into television, and, um, you -hmm. know, I was from a very different background from that, and I used to think, oh, I I don't think I fit in here. I automatically thought people were better than me, and they weren't. It was just my own perception.
1: Yeah I think um I think for me I didn't really grow up like wanting to be an athlete so, like most world champions will sit there and say it was always my dream to be a world champion and for me it, it just wasn't like I I my family is really academic I've got accountants and business owners and like my brother has done astrophysics at uni so um, <laughs> that's kind of background where I came from in that sense but then also just like I come from quite a small town so the wasn't really many there wouldn't be many big athletes coming or even like you know celebrities or anything <laughs> like it's just a small nice town and um and so like for me when I first came down especially being the only like Scottish one at the team at the time <laughs> I did feel a bit like I don't know what I'm doing here because I was getting like half lapped by everybody in like the shortest distance and and I was a bit like also we have a minority sport in the UK and even at that point The summer sports weren't winning loads of medals, you know. That only really happened after London onwards. And I was like, "I'm British. Like, what am I doing? I'm never going to do well in this." I remember being that scared little kid for probably the first two and a half, three years on the team. And it wasn't until I went to Vancouver Olympics that I like really changed and it started to. I started to grow up and like develop because I think until that point I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just you know I got given an opportunity and my mum told me to take it because you've got to try these things and see if you feel them so I'm lucky she did that but yeah for me like I didn't know what I wanted didn't know what I was doing and and I just kind of it came across me and then it was after Vancouver I just thought well if I'm gonna do this I might as well do it properly (laughs)
0: i was gonna good. say what what was the no it doesn't though but i was gonna say what, what made you it <laughs> might as well do this might as well yeah. like I win some medals yeah um, <laughs> and look what you managed to do um what made you what do you think it was that made you stay in that though because then there was probably ample times and opportunities you could have just gone walked away from it there's a few things like i think if i go from an outside perspective i
1: remember there was a comment in the media by very very like high up journalists at the time about short track and how why they sent kids to the olympics that were never going to make it anyway and i remember being like you don't even know me oh my god <laughs> you don't know like you don't know yeah. what and i kind of at that point i kind of got sick of just being like the one that everyone was allowed to just talk rubbish about almost, because, and I don't know, that's not everyone was doing it, you feel like it's everyone when you've gone through school, and then, now you've just gone to your first games, so I've been on the team for two years, against people who've been on the team for, like, 20, <laughs> and you're, like, getting slated in the media, and I couldn't understand it, I was just like, you know, what the heck's going on? And that really rattled me, and then I kind of sat there, and I thought, well, in all honesty, can I do this? And I thought, well, I've do- managed to do everything I've wanted to do in life so far, obviously I was only 19, but I'd never I'd never really failed at anything I'd tried to do so I thought well I've got the right attitude to do it and I sat there and I sat with Nick my coach at the time and I was like you know what I'm gonna go win medals how do I do it I And mean, he couldn't believe they'd been given another athlete that had that kind of attitude and I think it took about a year and a half before I won my first world cup medal maybe but yeah I stuck to stuck to the routine and and, I, you know, at that point in time, I'd say, like, i was still going through some like, external traumas in life, but in sport, it was, like, taking me away from them, and it was making me feel like I kind of could go stuff you to everyone that had slated me, and not just, not just in terms of, like, because I was winning medals, but just, like, I was achieving something that a lot of people couldn't, and I just felt like that's what kept me driven for so long. Mm. And it made me who I was. So actually, like, the bad that it's happened to me when i was younger, although eventually ended up biting me in the butt,
0: <laughs> initially drew, drove me to where I got to. Mm. What do you mean by it ended up biting you in the butt? <laughs> well, <laughs> when everything
1: came crashing down after Sochi, I obviously used that same motivation to get back up again. But I never stopped to deal with myself as a person, and I never stopped to... Look after myself, and I just carried on using the sport, and and there was there was traumas that I you know, I'd had a, like a fire and and things like that that I'd gone through externally, and then was just like you know going to deal with it later, deal with it later deal with it later Came up in such a very anxious person, ended up depressed about a year and a half later. Now we say that's the first time I was depressed. I probably always had like a level of anxiety. But I'd never been depressed, but I think the anxiety just tired me out so much. And then obviously, I didn't get a PTSD diagnosis until about a year out from Pyeongchang. And that's when I started to get medicated because a lot went on that year where I basically used skating as my thing, like to judge myself fully on. And suddenly, six months out of the Olympics, I was badly injured and couldn't train. And that's when I really started to deteriorate because I could see my goal just like slipping away from me. And that was, that was when I ended up getting medication because I remember I was seeing a clinical state by this point, which had taken a lot to get me to do that. And I just remember phoning her and she was like, you don't sound like yourself. And I was like, no, I don't feel like myself. And then so I medicated up to Pyeongchang. Then after Pyeongchang, I didn't deal with anything. I just went numb completely numb because for me like how could it all happen again how could I be getting more online abuse like you could see that I got on the ice with a basically broken ankle (laughs) and still tried to skate and I was still getting abused and I just I was fourth place in the Olympics because I got knocked over and I just couldn't understand how people could abuse that when they were sat at home doing nothing what were they what was the abuse if she goes again wasting the money and the tax and you know and just and you do start to feel a bit like oh maybe I have just wasted everyone's time you know like and it was difficult and I, I know a lot of people talk about this but I was I was the pressure of the whole of short track, and um and I did feel like I'd ruined everything for everyone you know by getting taken out and hurting my ankle I don't and only lose my Olympics I lost everyone else's at that point and that was uh, that was that was tough you know and I just I felt like gradually I was losing my boyfriend and it felt like he was disappointed in what I'd happened to me at the Olympics but then also just me it's so that I started to change and I'd say you know I always knew since Sochi especially that there was something underlying wrong like you know I was struggling but it wasn't until after Pyeongchang, it really just went boom. Like, I just totally changed. Like, I had these, like, almost manic phases where I'd be, like, wanting to spend loads of money that I didn't have because um, I wouldn't winter athlete. you know, we don't, <laughs> we don't make cake loads of money. Yeah, despite what people think. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're then... a Premier League footballer. Then... <laughs> no, <laughs> So it's just, like, I just found myself wanting to... And then just do things suddenly that I'd never normally do. And then I'd go the opposite way where I'd almost be like, not do anything. I'd just be nothing. I'd just sit there and and then I'd get really wound up by something really quick. I'd be shouting at my, my boyfriend at the same all the time. for like. And I, I wasn't shouting at him. You know, I was just shouting and he couldn't cope. So we broke up. And, and, then, and then I felt like, and then I lost my coach who I'd worked with for 12 years, who was more like a dad than a coach. And I just went, Oh, God, here we go. And then a month later, I got told I was racing <laughs> in about two weeks at the European Championships. And it was going to be my first race since the Olympics. And I was only just back on the ice with my ankle and everything. And I just couldn't cope. And it wasn't because I went to Europeans. But I like hadn't spoke. I hadn't even dealt with how I felt about the Games. Never mind, dealt with losing my boyfriend, losing my coach, and various other things that had happened throughout like my you know, my dad was diagnosed with cancer and there was just there were so many things I just went had Christmas. I just remember Christmas being like, oh you know, I don't feel like there's anything left in life for me. You know, I've mm. I've I've really buggered this up for everyone. You know, Nick's not now having to find a new job. I I just felt like, like I'd ruined the whole team. I was guilty for the whole thing and not just that but I still, you know, dream about it now at times. In, and I know you can't help me dream about, and I'll wake up and I'll be having a cold sweat, you know, about the fact that I've fallen over at the Olympics again. And it, and, and, and it sucks because I, I don't fall over often. <laughs> um, and, and I think about all the things I could have done and what I could have done differently. And, I, you know, I hate myself for the things I didn't do differently, but I was so ill and I didn't realise, you know, I was just, I was so mentally drained. And, and I got to just after Christmas, in 2018 and I'd you know I'd had enough and I just don't remember what happened really but I know that I (laughs) made it out the other side luckily Mm. and uh and I knew that from that point and it's not been easy (laughs) it's been very hard but I knew from that point that I I needed to I needed to change things needed to I couldn't do that again you know I couldn't be in that position and feel that low again and uh I know and I didn't I didn't handle it well you know I, I came out uh, I did go to European students with, uh, later and win medals <laughs> but I didn't handle the whole situation well I took myself off medication really quickly because I thought well you know if I'm better I need to be off medication that means I'm better and uh ended up injured all the next season because I had my appendix out in July me and my coach that I was working at the time weren't getting along very well he was a new coach and I was just—it was rushing me back, and I was rushing back. And a week and a half after my appendix out, I was on the ice skating, and I ended up just filled with injuries the whole season because it was like you know one of those spirals where I tried to go of torn something because my body can't cope with the load. And but all I could think was you know I'm better and better. I need to skate. I'm trying to make my mind better, and no skating makes my mind better. So I need to skate. And then I just remember like in. So I'd had my appendix out in July and October. I turned up at the doctor and I said, I've not been well since I've had my appendix out. There's something really wrong. I'm, I'm knackered all the time. I feel like I did a competition and I only lasted two out of three days of it. I was like, I don't know what's going on. And he was like, he just went, you need to go back on your medication. Yeah. And I just was like, as soon as he said it, I was like, oh, yes, I do. Like, it's taken me a year two years I'd say since the Olympics to get better I, and not get better you know everyone's I'm always gonna have PTSD and struggles like you know everyone will tell you that but it took the doctor sitting guy and going you, you need to get back on you and I came off a of medication without anyone telling me to as well so <laughs> uh, that wasn't that wasn't that wasn't done in the best way either and I would never advise that <laughs> um, so yeah so I started back on a different medication um I started to feel much better. I've been sticking to a routine, which has been really important. And uh, I've gradually just, you know, i found the things to like about myself outside of skating. I found the things about life that are like outside of skating. And I've noticed that I'm much less stressed when I skate now. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I just, I just feel for the first time in my entire life, like I fit in without skating. <laughs> I, I mean skating is still my life and I am still like on the right track and ready to try and win that Olympic medal to finish my career off on a high but to me now I can sit there and go I know I won't die if I don't win it <laughs> before I have been sitting there going I'm gonna die if I don't win this medal mm. and it's not healthy you know and, and people and I think there's a lot of people and it's not just in sport and I think sport does add pressure on that but people like in everything in life it thinks that they only exist to do this one thing, and it just keeps yeah. them going. But but they don't, you know. There is a lot more yeah. to life, and uh, and you know, you know, like we we lost a short tracker recently. A Dutch girl, one of my best friends, she passed away, and it just she was only twenty seven. Like in February, she was winning Olympic medal, uh, well, World Cup medals, and I just turned around that day. She passed away, and I said, you know what? Never again will I cut myself because she's wanted to live life one of the happiest girls in the world and I'm sitting there self-harming and, and you know what she's the reason I've, I'm not doing that never, and I wasn't doing it much by this point anyway you know because I you know I want to get off it anyway it's not a healthy thing to do but it is a habit um, but from that point I was like no you know what life could be over it in seconds and I want to live it now and I don't want to just live it as a speed skater. I want to live it as me too. And I understand now that those people in social media they don't know me. They just seen me do a competition every four years. Yeah. <laughs> like you say with the footballers, it's it's hard. They get that week in, week out. <laughs> I don't know how they deal with it. Like, mm. It must be awful. Like I get it yeah. It's almost like they
0: see do. yeah, they see that version of of you, but that's that it's almost like they see the job but they don't see who you are as a person but also in a in a in a sense like a lot of sports people like you said and I think this is across the board as well you know because so I know so many people who value yourself themselves and have valued themselves on an achievement I think it's a really big thing um when when you look talking now you know you you said oh it took two years and and it Mm. and it's like that's not a long time do you you, st- you seem still quite hard on yourself. Do, do you look back and think, you know, wow, I, I have done amazing to never mind the the medals, but to even just get come back from where you're from and be sat talking like this to me today, it's a lot. Yeah,
1: I think I think that's one of the things that I chose to value in myself. But yeah, looking it, like I guess if I sit here as a person and I look back, it actually how sick I was what happened to me what I came through and all the traumas I've had like most people would sit there and not know I'd be for that many traumas because like my boyfriend now that I've been with quite well he'd be like you know I wouldn't have thought that of you from what you've done and and it's just like it is amazing when you look at it that way but it's hard to look at it that way on yourself yeah. as a person and I think for me right now as an athlete, it's very difficult to look back and not look back at the things that I could have done differently. And I still have that battle. But right now, the the biggest thing I can do to focus differently on that is just, how can I not make their mistakes next time? and In a kind way. Yeah.
0: yeah, (laughs) In a kind
1: way. (laughs) But I think a a lot of my errors came from actually not taking enough responsibility and control. And I think a lot of that did come from like the depression and anxiety because I was almost even when I knew things in my heart were the right thing to do I was too timid to do it and I think because I was so self-doubting all the time whereas in like this time around I guess like me and my, I spoke I to my coach at the end of last season I said you know we aren't working together it's not working and, I, and he agreed and we took action on that and now and I'm working with a different coach whereas in before I'd fought it all I wouldn't have wanted to upset anyone firstly because I'm anxious and hate upsetting people but also I I would have been doubting that it's the right thing to do the whole time because my self-belief isn't there and I guess that's kind of what happened at the end of the games it's like I had the injury and I couldn't speak out and do the right thing that I knew was right um and ended up getting the games in severe pain (laughs) so it was uh but looking back now I just oh, in hindsight she's just Done it and like <laughs> gone to the game healthy and fit, you know, and it and it just sucks does suck, but it's an easy thing to say and I ain't say it's an easy thing to say when I'm now, you know, on a routine medication that stops me hitting those highs and lows. I mean and I also understand people's finances, you know, I I've I've come out of the other end but I hit a load of financial issues when I came out of that end and I've still I've dealt with a lot of them but I'm still having to deal with that now, you know. Like two years of going bit off the rails if you want to put it because i hadn't got into a routine of medicating a routine of how to deal with it how to speak to people how to reach out for help and and how to deal with myself you know understand myself more because i think that's really important but i i'm still dealing with consequences of that now and, and that's okay because you will get through it there is there is another side to it i'm getting there you know i'm nearly nearly out of that hole so you know i just it is hard i, I get it like you you know you hear about all the people who do silly things because they've got no money or yeah. financially they've got stuck and, and I understand that you know I understand what it's like to sit there and think how am I going to fix this it just seems impossible but there is always a way out you know and I think Covid's obviously hit people hard financially too and and you can see even like you know Starbucks is struggling like <laughs> it's Starbucks now. and I think uh it, it, it can get better that you can always find yourself a hobby or a like a lesson or a goal or something that will will get you a step closer you just got to write it down gradually because looking at I'm, I'm not saying what I had but if you look at like 20 grand of debt you know that's like how am I going to fix that it's 20 grand debt but if you actually go like okay go with five years you know a lot of, each year how am I going to do that each month how am I going to do that? Like, you know you break it down into days yeah. so as simple as instead of going out buying lunch on a day you you make sandwich at home you do whatever at home that's already saving a couple of quid a day you know it's just there's so many ways to do it but it's just understanding that it isn't impossible you know there is there is always a way out
0: (laughs) it's sometimes hard as well isn't it especially if you're feeling really depressed about it and low because that almost like blocks that rational thinking of like you can do this you can break it all down do you think also it's hard it was hard because you were seen as this you know you kind of pushed into the limelight and I mean I remember watching you um, at both the winter olympics and but at the same time there's this perception of you which probably isn't the reality of who you are do you think that also made it harder and do you feel like you had to live up to that expectation and hide maybe what was going on with you on all those levels emotional and financial
1: yeah I think I think firstly like as an athlete
0: I'm super tough like a super tough person
1: and I don't seem to feel pain, I just seem to be able you know and that that comes across you can see that, but I'm not it should be like the toughest person in the planet i'm like I do get really sad and I, I am emotional like any other girl and, <laughs> and as a person I actually, and man as well, well yes and man sorry but yeah, I mean I, I suffer from all that normal stuff that everyone else does but I think yeah, yeah seen as someone that and I think a lot of athletes are seen like this and as an athlete I am like that I'm so selfish if you get in my way you're not going to get a nice version of me because I want to win but yeah as a person I'm the complete opposite and that's quite hard to deal with on its own but But yeah, I think I had, and I always thought I needed to live up to it every day. And then I I couldn't speak to anyone because that's how, not how I was seen. Even the people closest to me, like I didn't tell my mum for ages. I think my mum found out on social media about the cell phone. (laughs) So, so yeah, like, and then the financial thing that came when I was better, you know, talking to people about that and, and just dealing with things. And, you know, the thing is that people have helped me now, I spoke about it. And they're not just giving me money, you know. I'm not saying like, oh I've got rich people around me no that's not happened. <laughs> they've just like helped me sit down and organize it all and figure things out and figure out the best ways to do things and I think like you saying, you know you, you, you think you can't talk to people about this because they won't understand but what people don't understand is how you act when you're not talking about it because if you're sitting there depressed so you're avoiding everything because that's what you do when you're depressed and I'm not saying I never do that now. I still go through days where I will avoid things. And uh, and you're anxious. So then you don't feel like you can speak to anyone. You can't go anywhere. So you're going to sit at home on your own with debts piling up and not really eating any food, not looking after yourself properly. Gradually, it just, you know, it gets worse and worse and worse. And you just, you're not living anymore. Like living is eating well. It's routine. It's looking after yourself. It's dealing with things. It's, going out making yourself go and do things that you are comfortable to do you know like if I want to go somewhere but I don't want to be around a big group, I'll just go see one person who really understands me I don't like you know I'm not saying my life is easy now that I understand what's going on with me and I get the help but I know how to deal with it now and and things have got a lot easier since I've understood that and and opened yeah. up and I think even now sitting here going like, oh god you know you need to talk to your Mom, you need to talk to your dad you need to talk to your you know, whoever it is you're close to your coach I could sit there and I can be like I can still sit there here and think oh god do I have to you know because oh, I the worst thing I think was having my mum find out because you didn't want to upset them yeah but but no one was upset at me you know they were just upset and wanted to help they were upset that I hadn't reached out before and and uh, I think, you know, Nick, my old coach, was one of the most upset people because it went through every day with me. He was with me every day and he didn't recognise it. Um, and I think, you know, that's the other lesson. And I think we everyone learned that from Robin Williams, you know, is like what you look like on the outside. And as you're saying, like on the outside, I just come across as this tough speed skater that gets on with it. And I do. <laughs> like training yeah. is never really affected because I... I'm always able to train for some reason. I'm just one of those yeah. people. But as soon as I get home, I'm, I can be completely different. You know, I can be sleeping all day. I could avoid things. I could. And, and I think that's why routine is important because that's the one thing I found last year being injured was I went out of my routine from skating and training and I didn't function. You know, I couldn't get myself out of bed, couldn't get myself to do anything. And then when I did go back training, I'd be back in the routine again. But every time I got injured again or. I was had my appendix out or whatever i was just you know i just found it hard and that's why like through covid i really made sure that even though we were told to train from home and we had a training program i made sure i stuck the times you know i wasn't laying around till 12 o'clock before i was getting up and things like that because i think for people who struggle mentally it's really important to stick to those things it's really healthy
0: (laughs) yeah yeah it almost makes it worse doesn't it which is probably why you could train because i think sometimes it's the um we had that on uh, somebody else mentioned on the podcast. It's almost like when you um, sit and have your own time. I think it was Ryan Bennett who said it. primarily football, and he was like, "I'm all right when I'm playing football. It's when it's when I when I'm on my own and when I yeah. sit down and when I don't have when I don't have that." Um, just one thing I wanted to. Pick, I mean, there's so many things I could talk to you for hours, like honestly. Um, but I wanted to just mention the self harm because I think sometimes it's something that a lot of people don't understand and still is not talked about a lot within mental health. I think we've started to talk a lot about depression but not maybe the other mental health that comes around it because mental health isn't just about depression. It's really interesting talking to you because um, I did this uh, qualification around some of the, these things. And a lot of what you were talking about was the avo- avoidance. It's, it's really common. It's one of the kind of like, they call it like mild up behaviors around depression. And then you talked about getting angry again, completely normal. Um, you know, and it was all the, these different things um, that you mentioned. And then even the buying things, that's like a self-soother. That's like soothing to try it like distract. Um but then the self-harm. I self-harmed when I was a teenager. And so I wondered what your thoughts were on it for anybody might maybe is self-harming or knows somebody that's self-harming that maybe doesn't understand what it is. For me it was very much um a case of feeling quite numb and also confused about how I didn't really like myself and confused about my situation. So for me that it, it was very much around feeling of worthlessness and trying to figure things out and and numbness in a way does that do you relate to any of that yeah
1: I think when I talk about it I had like two reasons that I did it and one of the reasons was the same as you where I was like talking about the numbness like almost I couldn't feel any, which is also the reason I became off medication because I had that belief that the medication makes you numb. It does not.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's the depression, Um, right?
1: Yeah, it's the depression. So don't (laughs) come off your medication because you think it makes you numb. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The the numbness was definitely one for me where like I'd sit there and feel absolutely nothing, and I just needed to feel something. And like I, I couldn't, you know, it's such a stupid thing to explain because why would you want to hurt? But it takes your mind off the hurt that's going on inside I suppose and and um and yeah so for me I had the numbness and and I needed to feel something and then there's also the other reason for me was around the anxiety and the anxiety one was the one that caused the really bad cut but uh I would be so torn off inside and I'd have this feeling and a lot of people say it's about anxiety it's in your chest and it's building up and it's building up and it's building up and and you can't it's like painful but it's not actually pain and and you just want it out, and you just want to scream or throw something or break something, and eventually, when I couldn't spend any more money <laughs> and do anything else, and I couldn't train or whatever at the time, I I, I would cut because it would take that pain away because the pain would be external. So it's almost I, like a release of emotion. Yeah, it was like a release of emotion. But the thing that's so unhealthy about self-harm is firstly that it ends up a habit because it's like the same as spending money in a different way but you are releasing it in the wrong way and you know that every time you do it it gets gradually worse you can get more confident with it and it just is not a healthy way of releasing anything you'd be better going to sleep <laughs> you know so it reminds me of like almost alcohol or drugs yeah do you think? alcohol yeah. I, I spoke I think we had link it really closely with this episode, I always say that and I think because like to watch people can't drink or do drugs they will go to self-harm quite often and I think same with maybe teenagers because you know they, they haven't but it's, but it's the same you know that like alcohol is such a negative thing to do and it just and the more you drink the more depressed you actually get even though at the time it's giving you that little high and it's like your self-harm does give you the the high almost which is just, just seems so messed up when you say it isn't it but it's, it's just not because you're not yourself at the time and I would have never said that I was someone that, like, was suicidal. I have had enough of life, like, and I, I class that very differently because I wouldn't put myself in that category of suicidal, but I did nearly do it because I'd got so into such a bad cycle of self-harm that, and I just remember being there that day and thinking... I've had enough of pressing as hard as you can and and doing it, you know. And and I remember, like thirty seconds later, like, I don't want to die. <laughs> do
0: you know, it's almost so like less. emotional exhaustion. Do you think it was just like, yeah? Oh,
1: my, yeah you, know. you just there's so many things that have led you to this point, and you can't cope anymore. You can't cope with feeling it anymore. You don't want to feel it anymore. And then that's where depression comes in because then you go, "Well, I'm not going to feel it anymore," and you go numb. No. But there's only so long you can switch between those two before you've had enough, and that's why. I, you need to speak instead of self-harm and I think for everyone who's on the other side of it like you know it's really important to understand why people are doing it because I think there wasn't many people at the time that could speak to me they would they would run away you know they'd be like why has she done that oh god what do we do how do we deal with it and people would go if she's not going to speak to me I won't speak to her and like that's the worst thing you can do because if you for, force it out of me then I would have I would have spoke about it, but everyone was going, "What's that cut?" And I just well, I've walked into something. They go, oh, "Okay," even though they knew it wasn't. Yeah. And I think that, and I know it's really hard, but that's the worst thing you can do because I'm not going to open
0: up to you about it. You know, yeah. I'm in, I'm in the worst place in my life right now. <laughs> like, yeah, um, that's almost like it, that phrase, "Speak up," is is hard, isn't it? Or speak because yeah. when you're in that dark place, when you've got depression, when you're self harming, any of those things is you're not automatically just going to go. Yeah, I'm in a really bad place right yeah. now. Um, yeah, because it's so hard and you put up that barrier, don't you? And there's so many, I think, feelings that go along with that, where it's your natural thing is to almost isolate yourself even more and not tell anyone. Yeah, and I think the only reason
1: really May never got spoken about properly what was because I did that bad cut and I had to get the physio to glue it. Because uh, the, the glue came undone and um, and you know whatever and the stitches, so I had to get because I was training. They popped open anyway, gruesome. Sorry, sorry, mm-hmm. right. but I'm not scared yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He had to uh, he had to be and I said, saying like, I want this. You know, I don't want this being out anywhere. And he was like, "There's so much confidentiality you can have, but this is duty of care. I'm gonna have to." And I kind of like was like relieved even though I would never have gone to him and gone can you please tell everyone and not everyone but you get what I mean to help me but I was relieved actually that everyone just knew all of a sudden the people that needed to know you know my coach my manager like people that needed to know knew and then and then obviously like I didn't come out to the world until it's probably I think it must have been five months later when I felt I could speak about it because I'd had those people around me that I was able to speak to about it. But if they hadn't done that at that point, like I don't know if I'd have ever been able to talk about it. And and that's the bit that I find hard is I'll have people going to me, Well, how did you how did you eventually speak to someone about it? And I'm kind of like, Well, no, it was forced. But it wasn't forced, you know what I mean? But it yeah. was managed and it was it was I did tell one person. <laughs> But I think it, that's why it's so, and then, and it's our job, but I think it is so important for the people around who do notice these things to, to push for it. And, you know, I've worked with someone recently who I've seen doing it and I picked up on it and I just went, you know, I just went straight up to them and I was like, and I didn't tell anyone else, obviously, I just was like, look, is that self-harm? And they just went, no. And I went, yes, it is. Because, you know, like, you know when you self-harm what it looks like and, and they went, Yeah. And then there were so many things going on in their life that I had no idea what was going on. And, you know, like, just, you could see they just needed to just let it all out. <laughs> yeah. Was <laughs> I mean, it a
0: massive relief the for them?
1: Yeah, 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 definitely. And I think that's the thing. And that's the thing I could, could have been better at the time was definitely, like, instead of picking up the blade, pick up the phone, you know. There is always someone that will speak to you. And they will just go, you know, my best friend Charlotte, who was on the team with me for years. She'd have come around at any minute and you know, been like, you know, sit with me and we'll find someone else who will put a movie on, we'll gradually take your mind off and you can talk to me when you want to talk to me. And you know, there's writing things down that always seems to help. And but for me it is like if you are sitting at home right now thinking about doing any sort of self-harm or you're sitting there numb or you're sitting there thinking that mentally you're struggling. Go and see the doctor <laughs> you know they they see people like this all the time. they're trained to deal with it, and it isn't your fault. you feel like that it is a hormonal instability, <laughs> like oh well, your hormones and react- trauma well, as well and yeah. trauma
0: yeah, yeah. and
1: it is, it's your brain reacting in defense, it's trying to look out for you, but there's a way to train your brain to think differently about things, you know, and everyone can be helped no matter how bad you feel for sure, and you can always there's always going to be a sunny side to it. And that doesn't I mean it's going to be sunny every day. <laughs> yeah,
0: I don't think that's realistic in life, do you? I think that's one no, I message think... I try and get out. And it, that even with myself, I think sometimes it's like if I wasn't feeling okay for a day, I'd be like, beat myself up about it. Yeah. And I, One of the biggest things that's helped me is to accept that it's, it's okay not to have a good day. And I know that sounds really simple, but for me, it was a lot about that acceptance because... I, I, I'm a bit of a perfectionist so <laughs> like if I wasn't having a good day then I'd make myself feel so much worse about it yeah
1: well I think I think that's another thing perfectionist slash OCD like I think a lot of people who have depression anxiety or other mental health issues do suffer from that and I it was so funny for me because I grew up a right little messy mucker I'd <laughs> always, like Never had anything organised, everything was all over the place. When I even when I had my first flat, it was a mess all the time. As soon as I had the fire, and this has have been like the point where I just started, but so I had the fire in my apartment, I totally changed. I was well, how old was I when I I think I was about twenty one. So it was about twenty one and I had the fire and woke up and lost a lot of stuff and had to climb out the window.
0: Uh, oh, that must have been so scary in itself well yeah I, I, see that's another point where I spent a few months thinking I should have been dead so i <laughs> thinking
1: when you know like that movie what is it uh <laughs> where they, they they should have died in the plane crash and then they don't and I was a bit oh, like it's almost like bit. survivor's
0: guilt yeah I was like yeah
1: was like, you know I was like a bit, uh but no I think I really changed after that, and I think like a lot of people do suffer from that perfection thing and the OCD side of things. And I sometimes like I'm I need, I'm late for training. Not well, not late, but I mean, I made myself in a rush for training because i will be trying to put p- pillows perfectly in the ass first. And then if I, like, do something a little bit crap, like if I stood on a block on the ice, which is, like, nothing, I'd spend the whole day thinking about why I stood on that block on the ice. And it's not good enough, you know? And it's just like, oh, god. Oh, you know, I'm laughing because that's what I do as well. <laughs> I've, had to, I've had to learn. I guess you've had to learn skills to try and deal with that as well, like to try and rationalise and have the test on. And it's the same as, like, I guess you're probably set off by things people say and then um, I actually found this a very important learning from my psychologist was uh, and I, I don't actually work with her anymore now but when I did she said only make time around you for the people that don't harm you and okay you will never be able to get rid of everyone that upsets you but I choose to like at training if there's someone I know that can set me off quite easily I will just stand away from them you know I won't put my attention towards them so that I get less out of them, but I also did cut out a lot of people in my life that had a negative impact on me, and I think that's very important It's a hard thing to do and I sit here going, you know I haven't got loads of friends, but I've got the friends that keep me happy and I keep them happy and and they're important. I don't have people that set me off, and I think that is really important too, because like you're saying with the like the kind of overthinking thing, you can be sitting there thinking all day about something someone said um so I've learned to really rationalize those things now and think like, uh, say last week at training, someone said something to me like, oh man, of course, you know, I'm just giving an example and I might sit there thinking, why train me all the time? What, what have I done wrong? Am I not doing enough? Blah, blah, blah. So I'll sit there and I'll think now, right, well, what happened to him today for him to say that? And I'll think like, okay, well, actually he couldn't finish a hill run. Maybe that's why he's acted like that, you know? And, and it is rationalizing it to that because actually, If I'm in a bad mood (laughs) and everything's going wrong, I'm not the nicest person on the planet either. And I think it's understanding that about yourself and relating what you do to what other people do too, because people
0: are just human. (laughs) Yeah, and there's so so many things you said during this that can people can take away. I mean, like some of them are is routine and how important routine is. I agree completely about getting any toxic people out of your life or people that, you know, you don't feel like you can be self with or that harm you in that way. And you said about going to a doctor as well and speaking out, is there anything else that's really helped you get to where you are? And I know also one of the most important things I think you've said so far on this, which I love is that, um, it, you know, it's, it's there. You're not all of a sudden better, you know, and it's there. And that's okay that it's there and you can live, well with it and you can and like you said accepting it doesn't or going to a psychologist and make it all disappear it just helps you cope with it is there anything else that you would give advice to people on um I think like the only other thing is like just really
1: finding something that you do love doing and it can be something as stupid as like so for me I love skating yeah but that is my job and that also sucks at the same time so I had to find something else you know that I like doing and I really like kind of like makeup and beauty so I went to look into that kind of stuff and it, it's even true if you just like if you like decorating if you like if drawing if you like music if you like but it's actually set in like at least two days a week aside, and not the whole day I'm not saying you still go to work <laughs> I still go <going> take <laughs> I don't just set two days away. but you set like at least two days a week where you actually do what it is you enjoy and like that means if someone asks you out that day Don't feel like you have to go do what they want you to do. You've got that day already set aside, planned out for something that you enjoy. Because you are good at other things and you are you will enjoy things. You just need to find what it is. And you might not find it right away, you can try loads of things first. But I I think that's really helped me is actually, okay, I always thought I had something to do because I skate and I like skating. But actually it's the thing that causes me the most stress on the planet. So what else can I do that actually doesn't stress me out and I just enjoy? And Mm. and for everyone, there's something. You might even just want to go in the bath for an hour with music and, you know, candles and relax yourself, or you might be more social and want to go go go-karting. I don't know. (laughs) Build a car. (laughs) I think, yeah, everyone's always got something that they will just really enjoy doing. Yeah, I love that point really important even if it's eating chocolate you know and i'm not allowed to eat chocolate because i'm an athlete but it's all about the endorphins is that what they're called they're the good good ones aren't they yeah 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 so if you you need to create them by doing something (laughs) that you like and
0: normally for me it's either beauty or animals because i love animals
1: uh, so
0: yeah yeah. you've got some like cats and dogs I saw I saw one of the cats earlier when first came and, um, they're probably like your dogs are probably like walk me because I didn't yeah. wanted to when we started this Um so final question then Elise um, your future what are you looking towards now and you know is it kind of does it look any different from when you were looking towards 2014 and 2018
1: um, yeah yeah it's very different Um, for me like the way I... There's there's a few things. like Firstly, now I want to win a medal, 100%. Um, I will be more focused on one or two distances instead of all three this time, just so that um, I can work on my strengths a bit more in that sense.
0: Yeah, just on that, sorry, just to, it, you did 1,000 and 1,500, right? Yeah. Those three, it.
1: yeah. So I will still probably skate all three, but I'll be more focused on the sprint too. Right. Um, but... Also, I've spent a lot of time taking a step back from like what I'm good at (laughs) and working on what I'm not good at technically and tactically so that I can be more adaptable race skill wise. So there is that. But then it's also just my approach in terms of social media and media. I will not be on social media for six months off into the games. So that has already been decided. I am staying away from it. It, There will be like updates being posted, but I won't be on it. So don't try and abuse me because you can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't even um, waste
0: your time. <laughs> <it's not fun. laughs>
1: um, and then I will be not be doing as much media into it. So I've already kind of started that way. And, and the media I'm doing, I'm trying to make the focus about this. You know, like I want to make it about how I can help others because as I said, like, that's what I found I enjoy. And I like about myself as a person which, as I was saying, is really important. So I I want to help others and I want to tell my story so that it might save one person, it might save two, you know. And for me, my my story into the next Olympics will be about how I dealt with mental health and how I'm still dealing with it and how I'm still out here performing in front of the whole country. And I know there's going to be pressure on me again, but how I'm dealing with that with everything else that's going on, not hiding from it and going, everything's going great, I'm going to win a medal. I'm so happy I'm so strong you know and all this and just pretending to be something that I completely wasn't in Pyeongchang so for me it'll be a totally different attitude towards the media and I will also be a lot quieter in the media um as I said focused on this but for me I just want to enjoy it so that I give myself the best opportunity I can and I'm going out there to prove to everyone that they didn't defeat me that People shouldn't give up until they really have to because I've not got a reason to give up. I even had my appendix out and I'm still here. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and just that I'm ending on a high either way for me now because I'm a world champion already. I I want to go into that game with the best opportunity and knowing that I can win a medal but not feeling like if I don't, the whole world's going to hate me or I'm going to hate myself, you know. It's just... Not worth it. um So I really want to show people how fun it can be again, and I hope that that leads to a medal. And I think it will because when you're enjoying your sport, you do do a lot much better in it. So
0: yeah, I think so.
1: I think it, it, I just know by that point I'm ready to hang up the skates either way. I know I'm ready. Whereas in I would never have retired after Pyeongchang if I didn't medal. Whereas in, now I know like this is it, my last one, and going out. I'm gonna I just feel like I've got to go out on a high I just feel like it just wouldn't have all happened like this if
0: I wasn't gonna (laughs) yeah it's almost like it's happened for a reason and and your story is really incredible and really inspirational because you know if you think about it if you'd have I know this sounds but if you won those medals and oh great that's all lovely but actually sometimes it's that whole thing where it's like you went out and you go repeatedly out into the arena that's what life's about right if you don't constantly yeah, put yourself in the arena, then you never know.
1: Yeah. And I think I could sit here now going, Well, half the population knows I should have about three three, three, four Olympic medals by now that I haven't got, but I could okay, so I could be one of the most successful short trackers in the world in that sense. That I know I'm already one of the most successful short trackers in the world, you know. And in the short track world, people know that. So for me it is like showing the kids who watched me at the last games that I did come back and try and that like, they shouldn't give up either I could have easily walked away I had so many problems <laughs> still yeah. intake, but um but for me it's about showing them that it, they shouldn't give up unless there's a real reason to you know like if you get a really bad injury and you can't do it anymore then fair enough
0: that yeah
1: I don't yeah. think you should ever give up on your dream unless it's time to give up on your dream.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's how many times you get up the canvas, right? Not how many yeah. times you get knocked down. <laughs> <important>. yeah. um, <laughs> thank thank you so much. Um honest honestly, I can't wait. I can't wait to follow the rest of your journey. And oh, it's been incredible <laughs> to talk to you and like you've been so open and so honest and I just want you to know that myself and everybody listening super super grateful for that and it's not it's not it doesn't go amiss and you've helped I mean just even chatting to you it, it makes me think certain things and you know it's inspirational to anybody so thank you. So no, much, for having me. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and we won't send you any social media messages six months before. But um, before <laughs> that, people maybe can, but nice messages only and encouraging ones, please. Um, yeah. But yeah, honestly, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure, and good luck with everything thank you <laughs> thank you um thanks uh, thanks so much elise and thanks to sporting mind charity for their support with this as well and don't forget if you are really struggling you can reach out to charities such as mind and the samaritans and like elise said you know go, go to a doctor people do understand and people deal with these things and there's no judgment there There is help out there, I suppose, is a message I want to say. And however you're listening today, we'd be really grateful if you don't mind me asking for a review on our iTunes podcast page. Thanks so much for listening and share if you can on social media and we'll speak again soon. A massive, massive one more thank you to Elise.
1: (laughs) Thank you.